Hello, my magical friends. My name's Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 170th time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. It's Creator Week, so let's jump right into today's topic. So today's episode is going to be a little bit of a strange one in a way, but I think it's also going to be very interesting. And it's generally just owing to the fact that uh, today's topic is also a rather avant-garde Magical Girl series. Today we're going to be talking about Pony Magic Fairy Girls. This is a webcomic that's complete with music that can be a little hard to follow, so bear with me. It is worth going through the story. If you don't have time but want to kind of understand what's going on story-wise, when you go to the website for the comic, if you go to the bookmarks on the page, you'll see chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, etc. But at the very top, you'll see something marked 718. Without giving spoilers to the actual plot itself, this is a page that gives a timeline of all the events that have happened so far in the story. So if you don't have time, but you want to kind of follow along, I do recommend going there to catch yourself up because otherwise this might be a little bit of a difficult, um, yeah, this will be a little bit of a difficult conversation to follow if you haven't actually gone through the story. Of course, we did talk about certain plot points and things, but we definitely get a little sidetracked now and again. So just fair warning there. But yeah, so I talked to Tara, aka Air, and she was such a delight to have on the podcast. You'll notice this is an episode where she did most of the talking rather than myself, so um, I just kind of enjoyed sitting back and listening to her talk about her story and talk about her experience. I think it's definitely, you know, of, of course, every every author brings their own experience into the story, but I think in the context of magical girls, what's very interesting about this in Tara's case is that uh, her experience really started after she started creating the story. So she wasn't really aware of the magical girl genre when she began her own magical girl story. So I think that's also an interesting factor as well. So yeah, I do recommend that you give it a so give it a read. Um, definitely give the music a listen if you have time as well. It's all very good, and you know, just sitting back and listening to all the music will take some time. So if you don't have time, I totally understand. But I do think that the music does elevate the story even further. It definitely gives a great mood. I I love getting to enjoy the music, even now that I've finished and have caught up to the story as has been published thus far. But um, yeah. Um, before we get into the main chat for both the comic itself as well as our conversation, we're going to be discussing trauma, childhood trauma, and we're going to be talking about suicide as well. So please keep that in mind as you enter the discussion. But otherwise, I hope you enjoy this chat with Tara, aka Air, the creator of Pony Magic Fairy Girls.
So um, we are here today to talk about the comic Pony Magic Fairy Girls, and I'm very excited to get to know the creator today. Can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, sure thing. Hello, I'm Tara. I go by Air online. That's E-Y-R-E, like Jane Eyre. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. And yeah, I make the comic Pony Magic Fairy Girls and also the comic Resilience. But yeah. Yes, awesome. So I'm definitely excited to finally get to uh, chat with you. We've we've chatted online for quite a while now. And so, you know, I'm very familiar with you as a as a magical girl creator and fan. But this is my first time finally getting into your story. And it's very fun, very, very mysterious in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. But before we get into that, uh, what is your history with the genre as a whole? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I guess my history with the genre is one of like not knowing that it was all the same genre. So as it, as it happens right now, my sister is out uh, at the moment and she has like I'm recording in like her like old room, which is like just like the smallest room in the house with the most soft furnishings. I'm like, this is going to be great for audio recording. Right. <laughs> and in it, she has somewhere collections of the very first magical girl books I read which was this series of, I would say, very disposable children's books from the Rainbow Magic series. Uh, mm. Now, that's a, a series of ghost-written fiction from the UK. And there are over 300 of these. Nearly 300? Yeah, nearly 300. Not quite 300 just yet. Uh, it's been going for 20 years this year. And the books sort of came in sort of series of series of six or seven to begin with. And then I think with time, they went down to sort of series of four. But it's like Ruby the Red Fairy and and the, all the colours of the rainbow is the first series. And I think they did Weather next. But my sister would collect them um, and I would maybe borrow them afterwards. Not always with her knowledge, because I liked I liked the story. I wanted, I guess, to to project myself into those stories and... I don't know, I just kind of found them kind of cute and adorable. But then I got a bit older. I had like a My Little Pony phase, as I think many of us did. I kind of liked My Little Pony Equestria Girls. I know it's maybe people don't like that as much. I enjoyed it. And one of my very best friends, he enjoyed it as well. And it had been sat on my mind that like Loki, like one day I'm going to tell a story in this, this kind of style uh, at some point. And I didn't realize it was a genre. I didn't know anything else other than those two works of fiction, right? Hmm. And I made two whole chapters. So I want to say like 30, 40 episodes or so of my comic Pony Magic Fairy Girls before I discovered that the genre was a thing. This was Christmas 2019. I was living for a while with a friend in Washington State. And I went through the classics of the genre, I suppose, as quickly as I could. I started at the very beginning. Um, the one with the, the girl who isn't always a girl. Oh, Princess Knight. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my memory escapes me. I started with the Princess Knight and I was like, you know what? No, I'm just going to skip to the good ones. I'm not going to go through everything from the beginning, which maybe <laughs> had like Loki been my initial plan because I wanted to catch up. Uh, so I was like, OK, I'll do the Princess Knight. I'll do uh, Magica Magica. Then I got evacuated from the USA during the pandemic. Uh, so that mm -hmm. was an exciting story. But I had to spend two weeks in quarantine 
uh, in the United Kingdom. And while I was there, I discovered Sailor Moon and fell in love with Sailor Moon as well. And as I was sort of researching this genre, that's when I found the Aradia Collective. And the moment Pony Magic Fairy Girls had 10 episodes published, I was on that web form like a shop. And since then, like I've read so many incredible comics by incredible magical girl creators. And Nan is like one of the coolest people ever to walk the earth. Um, I look up to her so, so much. So I would say like web comics are like my medium now. Like they're the place I really feel at home. They're the artistic medium, I think, that has so much experimentation, so much exciting stuff is just taken for granted, like trans characters doing normal things. You don't really find that in the in the in the mass media very much. Hmm. But yeah, web comics are the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I definitely think it's important to point out, not just for your story in general, but for your work, is you're also a musician. So you do a lot of work with like talking about and studying like music in the magical girl genre which is really fun and you've of course written a lot of music for your own story as well as um uh, for other stories which is really cool yeah i i write music a lot i like to write music for comics i would say that's that's an especially especially uh, an enthusiasm of mine and yeah pony magic fairy girls started as uh, a project sort of starting at the beginning of 2020 that's when I started to sort of publish it. And at the same time, I started a project I called Yukon, uh, which initially was supposedly uh, stood for year of unknown online narratives. And you're like, wow, you worked those, those initials really hard in order to get that. <laughs> but yeah, what that meant was every month I would compose a piece of music for a, uh, an undiscovered webcomic artist. Basically, I went out onto think places like Tapas and Webtoon and sorted by new and then found like comics that I really loved that usually has sort of at least fewer than 100 subscribers, right? At most uh, fewer than 100. And yeah, I would reach out to those creators and offer them to write them uh, a piece of music as like fan music. And I'd, you know, I'd ask for, you know, what sort of references would you like and really treat it like a proper, proper commission. And then at the end of the month, I'd release that piece of music. And then at the end of the year, I released a whole album of them. And lo and behold, secretly, maybe like on the back burner, I'd been writing a whole load extra music. And so the album was was sort of 22 tracks, I think, in the end. And like, well, there aren't 22 months in a year. Yeah, maybe I was I was pulling a bit of a, <laughs> bit, of a bit of a sly one there. But alongside this, Pony Magic Fairy Girls always had its own soundtrack. So there are five volumes of this soundtrack at the moment. You don't have to enjoy the comic with the soundtrack. How I've presented the comic is a bit weird. I coded my own content management system, so it's it's a bit weird to read. Um, one way you can read it will put the music right there with the episodes. Tapas used to have that feature. It doesn't anymore. Hmm. It was also possible to have the soundtrack right there and then. The soundtrack is there if you want to listen to it. The episodes I assigned tracks to were, were rather arbitrary. It's, it's more sort of for atmosphere. Yeah, it's, it's my approach to making stories, I guess, is my brother says it's one of collage. I never really knew what to call it, but he calls it a kind of a collage, which I, I think is really quite a kind and, and smart thing for him to say. So I've been saying it ever since. <laughs> my art isn't very good. And my music, certainly the Pony Magic Fairy Girls soundtrack, is really quite experimental. 
and then there are little animations that I've done sometimes, and then I coded like my own like website for it. And all of these little things build together into one experience. None of these elements really stand on their own that well. It's something to sort of to immerse yourself in, um, in a bored moment, as opposed to sort of just enjoying as a one-off, right? Yeah, there's a bit more mm. to it than that. But yeah, I've always like experimented with soundtracks for Magical Girls. They, they fascinate me a lot for reasons we will we will probably get on to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's really it's really interesting to get that perspective. I studied music like only a little bit when it comes to the creative side like composing and things. Like even though I've I've learned like a little bit of like music theory and stuff, it still just absolutely boggles my mind. I I cannot wrap my head around the the whole even idea of composing a song. So it's it's just like always so impressive and I, I love seeing how much work you can do when just creating all these really interesting, yeah, interesting tracks and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's <laughs> a very kind thing to say. My attitude has always been the same, I suppose, for artists. I, you know, I never felt like I could be one. And then uh, I eventually, um, I would say early 2019, got inspired to try art more seriously. I had this really amazing client. Serpera makes the comic uh, Vindicaris. It's about superhuman soldiers inspired by elements of the periodic table, right? Uh, mm. But she's this amazing client to work with who has this sort of amazing community around her work. And that really, I would say, inspired me to try art at all. But for me, it was things like anatomy and perspective. I was like, how, how do you tell a story with that? How do you just be happy telling a story at like the pace of a webcomic? They're so slow. And how, how do you learn to do art? And what I found is the big difference between art and music is that music, you end up learning all these separate skills and like theory is some of them, but like I would say I've forgotten most of my theory. For me, it's just like muscle memory at this point. I don't really know what to call anything anymore, but things like engineering and arrangement and all the production you can do and using synthesizers, music is all these separate skills and you can actually learn any individual one of those skills quite quickly. Whereas art is like the ultimate patience medium, right? You have to just do it and do it and do it and do it slowly. It's so slow to learn. You, it's, it's building up, yeah, again, muscle memory and just things like line confidence. It blows my mind. I was used to like learning to code and learning to do music and being able to like learn new things quite quickly uh, or experiment with new things quite quickly or like writing music to a time limit is quite a fun, common challenge. Uh, that I've done quite a lot. Whereas with art, uh, it's not going to help your learning all that much necessarily. Uh, not, not in the way it helps your learning in music. So yeah, no, I, I admire artists so much and being able to sit down and learn to do art sort of in 2019. And obviously the learning process has brought me right up to today and I'm still not that good. Is just this amazing, amazing journey of, of patience. <laughs> yeah, so so much respect for artists. Great. So with that, I guess uh, before we get into the actual story, um, Tara, can you tell us what basically, I guess, the at least from the, the early parts, we'll get deeper into the story because there's a lot there. But what basically is Pony Magic Fairy Girls about? Pony Magic Fairy Girls is about a magical princess called Winter enlisted the help of two human girls once upon a time, a very long time ago. And that's the basic premise, actually, of Rainbow Magic, right? The, the book series I mentioned earlier. Hmm. But then many years go by and winter vanishes. 
and then the story begins uh, sort of for the first time in five years. A portal opens in a small post-industrial English town. Winter, who vanished suddenly some years before, returns in search of her once friends, Rosie and Megan, the two little girls, to find that hers was not a unique story. Uh, many winters enlisted the help of many human children all of those years ago, each believing themselves unique. But the traces of these events are very carefully covered up, and the few people that remember them are caught in a struggle against a very non-specific oppressive force seeking to control what understanding people affected by this strange phenomenon are able to gain. And we meet some of those people who remember what happened, Carmen, the salamander, and the grin. And there's all this strange technology as well, the jewels that give them their powers, the servers that enable them to teleport, and other strange powers buried within the jewels that no one's ever fully unlocked. And so we're left with the question, where did this magic come from? And for what purpose was it designed? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, this story is so full of mystery and there's like a lot of weird, potentially timeline stuff that is still a little unexplained. And because of that, we really don't know a lot of things. I mean, even as far as the story has gone so far, um, we get a lot of answers, which only lead to more questions. Yeah. But basically, we're seeing, you know, a lot of interesting kind of things between the present time and then flashbacks as we learn more about various characters and kind of understand what on earth happened. We also have barely actually seen a lot of like magical girl stuff in terms of like fighting and like what the original villains were, at least for, for Rosie and Megan. It's kind of fun to try to figure out like, well, okay, there, there was this kind of some sort of magical girl thing going on, but it goes so much more beyond that. So um, yeah, I guess you kind of already mentioned uh, Rainbow Magic there, but what were the kind of influences for this story? It's so interesting. Yeah, sure thing. So I would say, okay, yeah, I'm going to pull some covers back right now. I guess one big thing to know about this story is that I made it every single day. So every single episode took really no more than about four hours to do. Hmm. Sort of one a night, every night, often for sort of spans of sort of three months or more. And then I'd take a break. And maybe sort of three months or so, and then I'd have three months back on. But during each sort of span of three months, like I say three months or so, because I stopped when I was uninspired and I started when I was inspired again. I wasn't really working in that... Uh, sort of proper creative way of being uh, really disciplined about doing it all the time or I was only disciplined about doing it all the time when I was sort of on it right and what this meant was the comic has always had this this diary-like quality right the characters are talking about things I was thinking about that day the settings of places I was thinking about and I chose them on the spot I had no plan going in the settings are places I thought about, like the, the sort of the post-industrial city. Like I chose that the day I sat down to write the first episode. Uh, it's based on the first town I ever went to university in. I was living in uh, Stoke-on-Trent for a while in the UK. Mm -hmm. And you can see in the very first episode, there's, there's a bottle kiln, which is a sort of a, a site on the horizon, very um, common to the, the towns of Stoke-on-Trent. 
because Stoke-on-Trent is these sort of federated towns, so they're, they're towns as well as all together, they're a big city. Hmm. And things like the different characters, I very much sort of introduced on an impulse uh, and then had to spend the next several months giving them backstory. <laughs> but in influences, yeah, I would I would say sort of included my, my experiences, I would say uh, living in Stoke-on-Trent to some extent. I do love that city. Some of the designs, especially in the more abstract moments of the story, are either ripped directly from or very heavily inspired by the short-lived Vorticist movement, which was a movement inspired by the Italian futurism uh, of the very early 20th century. Uh, Vorticism was kind of the, the British response to that movement. Vorticism is a mess for all kinds of reasons. I mean, it was very short-lived. It was just sort of some very, I would say, impulsive, young, um, angry kids, very much uh, doing whatever they wanted, rebelling against the sort of the artistic establishment of the time. But like, these were like not, not well-off people. And yet occasionally they will sort of be referred to as the first punks. This being a very early 20th century, some of them thought, fascism was wonderfully trendy oh no (laughs) a lot of them split from that in a very hard way and some of them vanished into it and never came back but vorticism was just before the first world war before any of these concerns really existed there were a bunch of angry little kids just hanging around london i think yeah probably london and making this really weird but very like bold angry uh mechanical art and I especially, I loved like the woodcuts they did because it's just two colors and you have all these amazing um, sort of industrial shapes. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other influences. I would say later on, I became maybe a bit more inspired by David Lynch, things like Twin Peaks. Hmm. Oh, and um, the demo scene was this movement, is this movement, uh, mostly I would say in Northern and Eastern Europe for making these sort of animated music videos with computers. But when you look at a demo scene production, it's an executable bit of code. It's not like a video, right? It's this this bit of code that will generate the animated music video for you on the fly. They're like these super like visually uh, maximalist, like this kind of digital graffiti, almost like animated music videos. And like they're generating the music in, in real time often. And they're generating all the graphics in real time. There's a lot of like game coding like skills that go into the demo scene, but mm. bits of that culture inspired different bits of the story. Like in the very first chapter, um, Megan is playing a guitar, and her friend, the German exchange student, is directly <laughs> based on a singer who's on the label Data Airlines. Uh, she had the design is directly inspired by Gemtos, the the, the singer. Because, like, I love, like, the, I guess, like, the electro body music that has come from that uh, movement, I would say, in some more recent times, in the last decade or so. Hmm. And that kind of inspired, I would say, Rosie and Megan's sort of attitude to the world. There's, like, some of that sort of British student cynicism, and there's some of that, like, immersed in these weird, like, electronic cultures yeah, there are other influences as well, but like it was decided very much on a on a day to day basis. If that kind mm. of answers your question, um, yeah, 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 it does. I think it's really interesting to kind of hear just from this, like what your your process was like. It 
you know, there are definitely different ways to create web comics, and this one feels very much like you were kind of pantsing it, right? Flying by the seat of your pants, but in a way that's like intriguing because you have created this like very complex web of connected stories with, I mean, mostly focusing on these, you know, six girls in part one. Actually, not they're not all girls. I should rephrase that. But、uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carmen is the one who is a、uh, non-binary. I think that's Carmen is non-binary. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so we have our our kind of six magical characters.、Uh, our two winters, as the grin, as you mentioned, is also a winter, and it's very clear there's like a lot more、uh, going on. There's the potential to see more stories, but this is who we're focusing on here, and、um, it's just like it's it's such a wild ride in a lot of ways, and so I feel kind of like. Maybe I am losing something because I didn't get to enjoy it in real time. I'm like I consumed it kind of all at once, right, and all in one go. But it's really cool to be able to like take a pause, like when you get to a page where there is a a bit of music, and just kind of like spend more time in that moment, which I think is the other kind of benefit of having music in a web comic. So it's really interesting how you utilize it there. But yeah, I guess. I'm really curious, especially now, especially hearing like your kind of history with the genre as a whole,、uh, how like it's actually quite recent for you. So, I'm curious about like how your、uh, your consumption of magical girls in particular kind of affected how you approached this story, and I guess your stories moving forward. Yeah, absolutely.、Uh, so, I would say started consuming magical girl stories. Properly, like going, you know, going after all the greats. When I was part of the way through the first volume of the soundtrack, I'd finished the first draft, the first published draft. There was a draft before that. So the first draft of the comic I published on Instagram Stories in 2019. They were like the very first things I drew on like my first digital screen tablet. Right, the first draft、mm. of like the comic, as I as I chose to call it, is like a proper comic published on comic sites to comic people. Um, that no longer exists. I redid it in 2021. That was the bit that I did before I knew very much about magical girls.、Um, and then when I found out about the genre in sort of Christmas 2019,、uh, then I immersed myself like a lot. And I would say that it changed quite a lot about the story. It made me want to focus. I would say less on. Following the characters around and having them think and talk about their lives, and focus more on more on the action a little bit, build up to some action. The grin, who's arguably the main character of the comic, she didn't emerge until like I I knew about Magical Girls. The Salamander didn't emerge until then.、Uh, Rosie and Megan take a, a backseat for quite a lot of the story, just hanging around and. Learning and listening and being amused and uncomfortable, whereas in my head, like the considerably more badass characters is what just what I know them as. Yeah, they're like the proper magical girl characters, if if you will.、Mm-hmm. Rosie and Megan don't want to do it anymore. They've stopped. <laughs> they're not gonna、uh, immerse in it, like at least initially. They're not gonna be magical girls again. Whereas the grin and Carmen and the salamander, they don't know any other way.、Mm. They have no solutions to their problems besides being magical girls because they've always been magical girls, and they they don't know anything else. 
I guess, yeah, what the story eventually became was an exploration of what magic is in magical girl stories. Hmm. If you want to like point to like a majority of magical girl stories, like what is magic, right? Yeah. You have like a much better answer for this than me, right? <laughs> but my sort of half asking it one evening brain was like magic in magical girl stories. It's a link between a person's emotions and the real world, right? Now that's not all magic in fiction. This is just one view of magic in some magical girl stories, especially the ones I really like, mm-hmm. or at least a lot of the ones I really like. You know, I don't know where this theme or this this pattern comes from, but it's it's the connection between a person's emotions and the real world. And there are other stories that do this in different ways in different genres, but a lot of the magical girl stories I like do this one thing, and. Pony Magic Fairy Girls wanted to play with that. It wanted to play with how being able to connect your emotions to the real world isn't necessarily a good thing. It's not going to help you. It's never going to be enough, necessarily. It's going to lead to all of these complications, maybe. Hmm. And yeah, it's, it's this really intriguing motivation right because because let's let's look at an alternative right let's look at superheroes right your 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 western marvel superhero people talk about superheroes being wish fulfillment and like that's not even true like some magical girls sometimes there's literally wish fulfillment right wishes are fulfilled it's like a person's mm-hmm. emotions being connected to the real world how more wish fulfillment can you get than that but i don't feel the same wish fulfillment from magical girl stories as I do from superheroes. When I see superhero stories, I'm like, you know, a lot of people like secretly deep down in a kind of like sort of animal way, maybe want to be a billionaire who's in this untouchable super suit of armor, right? They always wanted to know what it's like to fly like unaided, right? They want to look really cool. And okay, I see how Iron Man maybe might be wish fulfillment, right? And there are other superheroes as well. And the superhero genre has all of its own different kinds of experimentation, right? All of its all of its things that break the rule. But superheroes as wish fulfillment has this this old old history, and you can kind of see how it works, right? In someone's mind, you can be like, okay, yeah, I can see how like watching like the Iron Man films is is like cool. Like it makes you be like, oh yeah, I wish I could do that, right? Yeah. But magical girl stories don't do that, in the sense that connecting your emotions to the real world it it's wish fulfillment of a different more complicated sort it's almost uh i don't know there's like a you don't know what to do with it uh, no I, I yeah i know i fully like lost all my words at this point but like <laughs> like it raises questions for me you directly have the ability to do wish fulfillment but all you want is for your emotions to register in the real world Right. Mm. Yeah. So in Pony Magic Fairy Girls, there are characters who create technology or rely on technology they've created. And sometimes this technology yeah. interacts with their magical powers. Right. Because their, their powers often aren't enough or there's things lacking from missing from them. Right. Or it's clear like the magic has been designed somehow. This this link between person's feelings and the real world is is mediated by someone else's priorities. And yeah, I feel like the words are going to come to me in a bit, maybe, but... <laughs> no, no, it's okay, yeah. There are all these questions that come from wanting to, to link your powers to the real world. Yeah. 
um yeah I've, i just ramble on for ages but like no 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 no, no. you're doing <laughs> fine you're doing great <laughs> yeah. i know what you mean like i think um yeah especially comparing like superhero stories to magical girl stories i think you're right emotions are such a huge part of it and like when i tried to imagine like in terms of i guess the way that people see like getting powers in a superhero story versus getting powers in a magical girl story i do feel like there is that kind of difference and you know science fiction kind of plays into both genres in a in an interesting way that's often you know a bit different but you have that effect of like you know with a magical girl it's more likely that something is going to be like willed into existence uh as opposed to like in a superhero story when the worst things happen and that superhero has to do like something completely unthinkable it always is explained away as then like you know them somehow bending the rules of reality or using the rules of reality there's always an explanation in that case mm. i feel like when i think about yeah. you know marvel dc like but with the magical girls door it's just like oh she just felt it so hard that it happened you know yeah it's a lot of that and and then like you know certain magical girl stories do also kind of tie into what happens when those feelings go bad and you have the same thing here especially with amanda slash the salamander like her emotions are definitely very tied into how her powers manifest and how that goes wrong at times um and it's really really interesting and she also has gone through so much so much drama the poor thing yeah 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 for the listeners at home amanda's story is that content warnings for for all kinds of trauma Mm -hmm. i feel like the comic when i made it i wasn't super equipped to tell it especially well Uh, i had this relative who worked in social care and when i was living in the states i had other friends who did social work and i talked to them about their work quite a bit and it was like i want to put this in the story but almost from an outsider's perspective of watching it happen and so, yeah, Amanda come, came from sort of quite a neglectful family, like a really quite horribly neglectful family. And as a result, suffers from a whole raft of mental health problems. And what mm. the magic in the story does is it's like, right, so there's an aspect of your emotions that wants to realise onto the world a world where you're not, you don't entirely exist and someone else just kind of does in your place. Like you, you just sort of silently vanish and nobody notices, right? Content warnings for, for suicide. It is like an early form of suicidal thought, right? To, to have thoughts that maybe like don't, come with any commitment they're they're without crisis they're they're kind of passively there like the world would be a better place if I wasn't in it Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't want to take steps you know I wouldn't want to suffer or cause anyone else suffering but like I just I wouldn't want to be here I wonder you know it's it's not really possible to do those at the same time but for Amanda it is and so what the jewel her magical jewel does is it separates her from the person she becomes when she transforms Whereas most of them, they they transform and they're the same person, but with powers. Amanda transforms and the salamander takes over. Amanda's powers to begin with was the ability to control volatility, 
right to control anything explosive if something has the potentiality to explode amanda can make it explode with her mind she can slow the explosion down she can reverse it she can eat explosions which is just helpful but <laughs> it's it's quite a specific power there's maybe there's a bit of miraculous ladybug in here because it's it's quite a rule based power unlike many of the others right whereas Carmen's power, they have telekinesis, but only on a very small scale, right? And they can turn into a little, little sprite thing that can pass through material things. And they've augmented their powers a lot with technology. They themselves are augmented with technology for reasons I've never got around to explaining. Uh, and they can go into circuitry and things and change it. Uh, and the winters, when they use their powers, they're just sort of quite strong and have a little bit of telekinesis going on and they have access to things the jewels the magical jewels might have might have hidden from people more readily they can do things bringing sort of the members of their team together but it's quite unclear again a lot of unanswered questions whereas amanda's are possibly the most explored powers in the comic which yeah leads to the salamander being quite this quite this hungry arrogant force Hmm. quite vengeful and again it's 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 playing with the idea of so your emotions are connected to the real world right or so yeah. some power other than you which in in magical girl stories like might be might be fate like like who who decides who gets to be the pink one and who gets to be the blue one it, it's just baked into their personalities somehow right <laughs> it's just obvious somehow hmm. Amanda gets to be the one that can control explosions. Is that baked into her personality? Is that fated? We know to some extent that the jewels are created by a not entirely benign force, right? In fact, mm -hmm. a distinctly not nice force, or at least they seem to be managed by them. We, we don't really know about how they were created, but that was always a goal with the comic was to raise questions it was it was a diary so some days i could answer questions and some days i could just raise questions right mm -hmm. and we we talk about maybe how, like how it's disorganized it's it, maybe it's a disorganized story personally i think i've done quite a good job linking things together making references earlier and later on and bouncing backwards and forwards so so it's it's a consistent story without plot holes that I've not intended, right? I'm pretty sure there aren't any plot holes. I've, I've not like specifically put there on purpose. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's it's coherent. You you wouldn't know. I I pantsed it, right? Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I couldn't tell. So. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but that's like how a, a diary is 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 kind of like. It's like I wanted a diary that wasn't just a stream of consciousness from day to day, right? You finish one day and then that day's done and you go on to the next day. No, I want a diary where the days are connected together. They're all self-reliant on each other. The questions I come up with in a day of my life are answered later on or elaborated on later on or made even more confusing later on. And so it's like, well, how, how can a story be a diary? I don't know, hopefully that, that sort of puts some of it together a little bit. Because stories, especially stories with mysteries in them, the temporality of it, it's like you've referenced things from before, right? You reference questions you raised earlier. You're set on a certain disposition because of a question you have that makes you tentative about some things and confident about others. 
it's almost like I, I experimented with what these characters could do as a function of experimenting in the real world, right? Here's another crazy thing. I drop the big reveals very quite regularly through the comic. Big reveals are questions, big reveals of answers. They're sort of continuous and constant. So I'm, I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> I'm trans, right? And I effectively stopped making this comic when I uh, came out and started transitioning. And it wasn't oh, okay. on purpose, right? Hmm. I didn't know I was trans until I kind of stopped making it. But this is an almost daily diary of the lead up to me realizing, right? And hmm. yeah, there's a lens through which you can read it. Uh, there's a lens through which I try and read it frequently and come up with nothing but blanks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so again, yeah, I, that's that's a thing. I'm just giving you more questions, <laughs> which was always part of the point, I think. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really like thought about it in that way. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot I can say, but I, I am cis, so it's like... I don't know how much my readings of anything trying to look through that lens would be beneficial anyway, but I, I I feel like what we're seeing right now, I think there's still a lot with all the kind of flashbacks. We really focus a lot more on the last winter slash the grin um, who sometimes also call herself turquoise. And then uh, Carmen and Amanda's background a, a little bit more like we do get a little bit about Rosie and Megan, but I think, Overall, there's still a lot that I feel like as a reader, I don't know about them, even down to like their personalities and stuff. Like, I feel like I still need to get to know them a bit more in comparison, because like you kind of presented them like right away as as the the first characters we see the the other winter show up. And then we see Rosie and Megan and they're like, you know, at university and they're like, oh, no, winter is back. How is that possible? And they're like trying to figure all that stuff out and then like all this other stuff happens with with the other characters so I feel like we ended up not having a lot of time with them to like get to know them despite the fact that they're kind of introduced first so I'm thinking like in general we have this interesting cast of of characters and things kind of a lot of the time like happening to them and then like the stuff that's like really cool is like whenever they're actually trying to take control of things, you know, like the world was already very strange for Rosie and Megan when they first met as kids, you know, quite young. And that's kind of how they jump into the magical girl kind of world, the universe as it were, as it were. And then I feel like, yeah, there's just like a lot of like confusing things about society in general and then like the magical girl world as well because you have like the society and all this other like mysterious stuff going on again a lot of a lot of questions about the system and the world that we still don't know so um i'm very curious for example about like w day the day that apparently all the winters vanished but we only know about one winter vanishing and how it affected you know her magical girls um so it is yeah it is definitely like I'm, I'm still so curious about like what else there is or how how much about society and about I guess girlhood that you can explore with this story so yeah I'm definitely very curious no. about that yeah I agree it's confusing um yeah so 
yeah uh, for w day yeah chapter eight is the the w day chapter um at least for the grin and amanda and carmen it's what they were doing the day the winters vanished that was that was almost what i was i would say sort of building up to with the first arc of the comic and then it's sort of effectively in the, the second arc of the comic that i i kind of i kind of stopped and i've not stopped permanently there is quite a bit of the comic that's unpublished there is like a whole like i would say maybe it's roughly two chapters that are unpublished that i i effectively i, I nuked them uh they're no longer in the story hmm. then there's sort of a half chapter version of one of them um that i started making more recently and yeah it's interesting because with Rosie and Megan, I feel like for a while, like I, I got excited by 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 Carmen, Amanda, and the Grin, and I, I wanted to play with those characters a lot, uh, and I was always like, you know, have I done Rosie and Megan dirty? And like maybe I have a little bit, right? But also, like yes, I introduced some characters right at the beginning who you don't get to know that much. You're like, okay, so they're the archetype of the ex magical girl. Fill in the gaps. I'm not going to do it. Um, and then they just sort of get dragged along for the rest of the time. And they don't seem to choose much and they don't seem to have much choice in things. Um, and ultimately that's because they don't. They don't have much choice in things. The world is is very confusing and hard to be in. And they don't get to choose what they, they do. They're supported. They're looked after. Um, but they, they feel like they don't have choices. They feel like they don't know what they want to become anymore. They don't know what they have left to aspire to be. The people who are already doing the things that maybe they could aspire to be, uh, the Grin and Amanda, they're, they're sort of badass sort of vigilantes to some extent. Well, they're never going to be as good as, as they are at being badass vigilantes. You know, they, they were just sort of musicians just doing doing a gig and they, they got pulled into all of this nonsense when they were quite glad to have left it behind they weren't happy with their their lack of answers you know they would have been really maybe i would say later in life quite unhappy without that that lack of answers hmm. but yeah it's 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 with time i've kind of become more satisfied with their role in the sense that sometimes there are people you just can't get to know in the world right you're like i'd like to get to know them but you know you never get a chance to do that hmm. and the position they're in <laughs> as i was implying in my little little stream of of things they have on their mind just now it's not so different from kind of a pre-coming out trans experience you know not really knowing where you are in the world never thinking you can never live up to the thing you maybe would quite like to become feeling you don't have choices feeling like you know, the choices you have aren't really choices. Yeah, they're not without sort of their narrative value. From the very beginning of the story, I wanted to you utilize, almost weaponize um, discomfort, dissatisfaction with the story for, for narrative and meaningful ends, right? Hmm. I, I wanted to leave people with certain dissatisfactions where it's like, well, actually, you know, if you maybe if you if you sort of list down like uh, how you're dissatisfied or, or how those dissatisfactions are, like what, what they're formulated out of, you'll be left with if maybe more interesting questions. 
but also with like a little story in its in its own right and yeah okay this is where the twin peaks influence comes in is that i became more satisfied with the story after seeing twin peaks not because <laughs> it meant i could do less work but because it, it it gave me the ideas for what i'd like to do with the characters of rosie and megan one day hmm. which will probably be very dis- un- like unsatisfying and will absolutely yeah, leave you with questions but like i'm i'm not quite as cruel as david lynch cruel in like inverted quotations right they'll get a good ending they'll have a good arc they'll do all the things great characters should do but like yeah it won't be normal their story's never gonna be a normal one Mm. yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to think what else were we talking about uh (laughs) (laughs) well okay so i guess if i may because you're like thinking about like how how your own coming out and stuff like might have been i guess predictable through your story (laughs) i wonder if it also has to kind of do with um the other winters group where like they're also magical girls but they also got like immediately isolated from society and are kind of fighting their way out of things um unable to even like find that kind of same place as opposed to the former magical girls who what we do know about them is like they are very much being fitted to kind of be this like these like really, really high achieving kids, if according to at least what we heard from their parents, though their parents were kind of in a strange state from what I recall from that flashback. <laughs> I think they they seem to have been on a bit of a, a path and then they were on a path of uh, fighting for quite a while as, as magical girls before that also got shut down and then they kind of like just fit themselves back into society in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... It's kind of uh, curious, I guess, to kind of like figure out, you know, and and this I think that's true for a lot of people, not necessarily just, you know, uh, trans girls, but also people who are marginalized in all sorts of ways. And and I think if I may, uh, queer folks in general might have that experience of trying to deal with where they fit in society and trying to, you know, find their way, even if that means just completely going outside the boundaries. Yeah. Okay, that's it. You were asking questions about the villains. I've got to answer <laughs> any of them. So yeah, to be clear, Rosie and Megan, the characters introduced at the beginning of the story, this was sort of chapter two. So this is me playing with, still playing, I would say, with the very sort of the rainbow magic archetype. This does not sound like an answer to your question. I, I promise it will be. Um, as, as, a, as a business project, I don't like the rainbow magic fairy books Hmm. there are a variety of reasons for this uh like if you trace the corporate hierarchy far enough you get to black rock investments which i think is kind of funny they're owned by the same intellectual property firm as warrior cats right you're like okay rainbow magic and warrior cats same ip firm right but that's the same management in every way so declining as it goes on everything ghost written they call it collegiate fiction right as if it's this great sort of profound collaboration and then you look at actually, well, actually, it's just been one ghostwriter for ages and the number of them is declining. And really, the only marketing these books get is by being placed next to better children's books in bookstores and in libraries. Their business model is this weird one of quantity over quality, like quality by association. And it's almost this sort of, yeah, we're getting kids to read, but every single one of these deeply repetitive episodes is sort of 
I don't know, five to six pounds a pop, which in the UK right now is, you know, in some cases would be half of a kid's food budget for a week, right? I've looked at interviews and such with the people who worked on Rainbow Magic and they sort of pose it as this this quite excellent thing of, of getting kids to do repetitive reading because that is good for confidence and pattern building and it's good practice, uh, which isn't untrue. But it's it's not this profound exercise. It's still very much this intensely capitalist project. It's still this thing that is mired in the ideas of sort of status and establishment and yeah yeah you know we can't be as as good as i don't know how to train your dragon or or philip pullman or something but we're on the shelf right next to him so we we must be something like that no you just paid for that shelf space as as marketing right because availability and association makes you think, ah, well, it's it's kids' liter- literature and it looks like the sensible kids' literature. It must be good kids' literature. But I'm like, it's it's almost, it's for people who have enough income to not worry about whether it's, it's good kids' literature or not. It's available because it's for people who, you know, for, for grandmas buying birthday presents, for people who aren't going to take the time and that's fair enough, aren't going to take the time to work out what's cynical and what's incredibly beautiful art, right? And so while I love Rainbow Magic, I guess, as, as a work of art, as I read it and enjoy it, uh, as I interpret it and see it as a whole, I feel like by the nature of how the series is produced, it is not, it's really hard to see it for the, the totality of what it is. Right. And that's why I followed the corporate structure and stalked all the people involved in it on LinkedIn and things is and found, oh, wait, yeah, yeah. BlackRock's got their fingers in this pie as well. And Warrior Cats is exactly the same. Yeah, it's it's this attitude that, that, that kids fiction doesn't need to be that good. But yeah. OK, so chapter two, <laughs> Rosie and Megan are on this boat and it's like they slowly realize while they're stood on the same boat as their parents and they can see their, their parents they seem to be going to the same place. They got on the boat with their parents. They're stood on this boat with their parents. We as readers never see their parents, but you know, that's fine. That's just framing that. That could be, that could be normal kids fiction framing of just only having the kids on screen. Um, and just sort of seeing adults as this background thing. Their parents are on a different boat. Uh, like they're stood there on the same boat as them in the same place, but they're not in the same place. They're on a different boat. Uh, and the parents are, you know, are talking about how they've, they've, Rosie and Megan are such high achievers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- Megan knows like three ancient languages or something ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. Rosie got grade eight in violin and spoke to Stephen Hawking one time. Like they're, they're sort of competing over this, right? Yeah. And they have all these stereotypes about what different people are like. Uh, and actually they, they make a joke about Rosie is stood next to the edge of the boat and she's she's looking out into the distance and because she stood at the edge of the boat, her, her, her dress is getting wet. And Megan's parents are just judging her for it. Like, well, what if her parents are boating types like we met in Washington? Now, I was in Washington hanging around with boating types when I first wrote <laughs> chapter one, chapter two. Uh, so this is a little little shout out to my very good friends who, who hosted me then. But... It's also like their their mind is is full of stereotypes. They have all these values that they're imposing without even realizing. And there's a little exaggeration. There's a little little teasing, little stereotyping. It it almost 
you you read it and it it feels like heavy-handed criticism of maybe a british establishment class that not everyone is is familiar with but it comes from that that criticism i guess i have of of rainbow magic as this thing that ultimately is is hiding a lot of itself from from the public view and is is pretending to be one thing when in fact if if you if you saw all of the decisions that went into it and all of the things they claim claim that go into it and then actually what those things mean in practice and what they don't mean in practice you you have a different i would say criticism of the same kind of establishment and that same establishment at the moment is the establishment that has effectively caused the the nickname for the united kingdom in queer circles um, of turf island right yes yeah we we're familiar with that that little nickname and that same kind of establishment is represented in the villains in the villains who are just nebulously called like the society and they they seem to employ these these sort of hunter people to hunt down winters and their jewels and sometimes they have like they wear like winter jewels on their belts and some of them are fake, <laughs> which is like <laughs> so. So yeah, what's what's it like to be one of you guys then? Um, and they're they're kind of just brushed over in chapter five, I think five or six. Yeah. Before being explored a bit more thoroughly, uh, we see them again in chapter eight, where they're really quite disconcerting. And then towards the the end of the story, as it currently exists, we see why well, actually they have this this project. They take a, a different team, a third team of magical girls. They have two of their members, and I feel I feel comfortable like spoiling this. But they it's, there's there's a mind control thing going on, right? Yeah. Two yeah. more magical girls, Bethany and Jemima, uh, believed to have died in a fire, are taken and their brains are modified somehow they wear these big sort of pointy masks uh, i wrote a, a song about it actually one of the things from the soundtrack i'm most proud of is the track from volume four called drones mm, it's a good one yeah <laughs> yeah i was i was thinking back once many years ago i read uh kasuo shiguru's never let me go great book mm-hmm. love it very much and drones was sort of playing with motifs from that story and yeah so there's there's that whole little plot going on where this is a story about like sort of building a person out of out of sort of their constituent parts, smushing them back together with no regard for who or what they are or were, and sort of forcing them to be something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've got the lyrics up in front of me. I was just trying to think if there's a, a relevant quote. Yeah, there's a lot of anger in the song. So there's one line that goes, uh, the blood behind their eyes on their foreheads I'll bestow. So it's like, well, how did the blood get from behind their eyes to the, on their forehead, right? That's not nice. That's that's quite a gruesome <laughs> image. Yeah. And then the lines, I'm worried that they built me. I'm angry that they built me. I'm worried when you see me, you'll know no one could have built me. I wish I had a body so you'd never let me go. Never let me go, she said. Yeah, so the, the society is a sort of these, these villains... Yeah, they're they're perfectly willing to um, butcher people and mm-hmm. uh, be quite awful and chase people down. They're the ones who sort of forcibly integrated Rosie and Megan back into to you know to going into university. They assigned Amanda originally to surveil them, to watch them, to make sure they were uh, fitting back in. 
and yeah, again, I feel like I'm I'm raising questions <laughs> and not answering them. There's like there are things that like could be allegory, like little bits of allegory, like pop up mm -hmm. here and there, and then vanish as quickly as they appeared. Right? Yeah. Sure, sure. I mean, you could argue that maybe the society could be an allegory for society. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or the very mm. specific bit of society that maybe I don't like very much, me personally. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's very interesting. I'm really enjoying hearing um, your take and your explanation of things. But before we go, I do want to kind of ask, like, what is it about your your love, your appreciation of the magical girl genre that you want to kind of bring through your story. Yeah. So yeah, let's get back to the the rambling. Well, okay, one of the rambling tangents I went on earlier, where <laughs> I didn't have the words, where I was talking about how magic in magical girl stories is very often a connection between emotions and the real world. Mm -hmm. So the love of the magical girl genre I want to bring forward in Pony Magic Fairy Girls is the sheer range and diversity of possibilities that exist uh, with that premise of bringing emotions into the real world. Yeah, it's almost it's a tribute to the people who use that sort of that little dynamic, that little magical dynamic for I want to say like revolutionary means, right? They've recognized like the revolutionary potential in that dynamic. They're like, yeah, our feelings aren't represented in the real world. Yeah, we, you know, we, we often don't have choices or answers where maybe we should. And yeah, if that makes any sense at all, it's like, I mean, it's a thing in, in, in sort of a lot of magical girl fiction that the magical girls don't want to be magical girls, more so than like a superhero is unwilling or, or does like a little bit of time as a villain first. No, like more so than that, like they don't want to be magical girls because when they do, they suffer horribly and mm. people around them die pretty unpleasantly. And that's in the nice ones as well as sort of the, the more deliberately dark ones of the last sort of couple of decades. It's like the genre was just built for saying quite sort of angry things and leaving people with questions that might change how they see the world. And I wanted to, I guess, to show off how much I love that that exists and how much I love what people have done with that in the past, what they're doing with that right now, and what I don't doubt they're going to continue to do with all that possibility in the future, right? Because the magical girl genre is a smaller genre, say, than, than the superheroes we mentioned, right? Maybe it's more niche or it's, there's not a Marvel Cinematic Universe full of full of magical girls in quite the same way. And uh, frankly, I'm, I, I quite like it that way. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, there's untapped potential. You know, I don't, I don't have much of an audience. I feel like I, you're probably like one of the only people to make it to the end ever. I, I could probably count on my fingers how many people have made it to the end of Pony Magic Fairy Girls. <laughs> but in the end, most of the comic, I made it as part of the community of the Aradia Collective. Like being around such incredible uh, artistic and creative forces like Nan, uh, like I've, I've worked quite a bit in the past with Artem Victor, who of course makes Ring Spell and many other comics. Rennie, I admire so much. 
yeah, so many great sort of comic making, uh, magical girl comic making names. I just sort of hang around them and, and look up to them a lot. <laughs> and what I contribute to what they're doing is just this this ugly, misshapen, malformed mess of collage and music and art and half-finished story and broken programming code, right? But it's like, it's because I, I, I kind of want that to be there. I kind of want Pony Magic Fairy Girls to be this reflective process, almost, relative to the others. You, know, you read Pony Magic Fairy Girls and you're like, well, that was awful. <laughs> I wouldn't say that at all. Yeah, it left me with questions. <laughs> it's like you can take those questions away and maybe, I don't know, take them to other stories and, I don't know, maybe enjoy those stories more or get new things from them or uh, see, I don't know, like the, for, for me, Pony Magic Fairy Girls self-indulgent in the, the sense that I made it very much sort of for myself. So these these stories have this connection with, they can mean this for a creator, right? Pony Magic Fairy Girls means all of this for me. But like all the stories by all these indie creators uh, means what Pony Magic Fairy Girls does to me, but to those other creators, right? Even if they've, they've mastered the art of working with an audience and, and making something uh, marketable, making something readable, making something, not that sells, but that, you know, that the gathers a following and brings it along with them even if they're not making compromises and they they very often aren't the the questions and the processes and the thoughts and the philosophy and the history and the, the love of the genre it's all still there even even if you see something much much more uh sort of immediately understandable immediately sort of able to get on board with what that means is they're a more talented storyteller than i am but the the, the sort of the raw questions the raw self-indulgence not pejorative the experiences that went into it they're all still there and with pony magic fairy girls i i guess i wanted to bring that side to the top um yeah hmm. okay well before we continue i just want to insist that you know even though there are a lot of questions and so on with your story that i do find that it is actually very intriguing for that reason because it makes you want to keep reading and understand what's going on and so the fact that it's unfinished just me leaves me like excited that you know whenever you do come back around to you know updating your story that like I'll get to get more of those uh, questions answered potentially or find out even more of the the mystery which is also fun. So yeah, I I did enjoy reading your story. <laughs> oh yeah, no, well that's very kind. Thank you. Yeah, it's a different reading experience, right, to most other web comics. You know, it's it's in this weird sort of half-broken CMS that I coded for the sake of I've wanted a webcomic CMS that made it easy to put music and video together with comic stories. I wanted comics potentially with uh, the ability to make sort of branching stories or that, that sort of that lost cave from Pokemon. The Pokemon games have lost cave, this thing where you, like you walk through some doors and it sends you back to the beginning. You walk through other doors and it, it sends you onwards. But you sometimes you have to like fully go back on yourself. You walk back through the door you just walked through in order to see the the, the next bit, right? Um, and it's it, there's this sort of this puzzle exploring element to it, and all the rooms are the same except for like little little clues in them. It was a uh, undergraduate dissertation uh, thesis for Americans. We we swap those words over in British and American English. So when we say dissertation, we mean what you mean by thesis, and when we say thesis that's for us that's the phd thing um but yeah anyway yeah it's like i wanted something that could do that i couldn't find anything else that could do that 
I've wanted it so very much built into the system that it was possible to do that. And while I've not hidden anything in that sort of that more puzzle element of the CMS yet, like I could one day if I wanted to. Yeah. So that's that's very kind of you to say, but it is it is a different reading experience that perhaps people who aren't into comics would enjoy. Um, but mm. people who are into comics, like you might be in for a bit of a surprise. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's possible. So yeah, I definitely, you know, I do want people to check it out. And I want, I want people to come to their own conclusions and, and so on. Um, but yeah, right now you are on a little bit of a break with uh, Pony Magic Fairy Girls. So can you tell us a bit more about what you're working on um, at the moment? Yeah, sure thing. So at the moment, I am working on resilience. And the intention was not to stop Pony Magic Fairy Girls and start Resilience. Pony Magic Fairy Girls hasn't stopped. In fact, there are unpublished episodes and it's like one day, you know, when I when I finish that chapter, which could be tomorrow, it could be in a year, lately, even more so than usual, have only been making it when I sort of feel inspired to do so. Yeah, so Resilience is a story about a trans woman who retires from her work as an assassin only to be effectively tricked by her ex, who is also trans, into destroying or destabilizing the government of the space colony, the dying space colony on which the story takes place. Hmm. So I've been able to talk this whole time about Pony Magic Fairy Girls sort of in the past tense, sort of reflectively, um, because when I was making it, it was such a, a present moment thing, right? This would have been a very different conversation because it's so much of a diary. You know, I, I feel like a lot of these questions I couldn't have answered at all. Whereas resilience is completely different. It's all planned out beforehand. It's all super, super organized. You know, I ask my voice actors and yeah, I have voice actors. We're going to get onto that in a second. I ask my voice actors uh, for things sort of, you know, a couple of weeks time. And realistically, I only need it in two months, right? Because it's almost, <laughs> it's what I want to do now. I feel like ready to try at something. It's, it's a very sort of carefully measured in terms of workload, in terms of eventual length kind of story. It's super planned out. The quality of art, I would say, is a lot more consistent. There's going to be a lot less sort of development of the art as time goes on. And Resilience is a magical girl's story, asterisk. It depends on your definition of magical girl. And I like, as I, I like um, most of Nan's incredible ideas, uh, I like the definition she uses for the Aradia Collective, which simply is that your your story has to have a character who transforms and uses magic in it somewhere, and that's kind of the emphasis of the story. Whereas I recognize that's not everyone's definition, but for the purpose that Aradia is trying to accomplish, which is to champion the, the, the genre and get people into it and spread it and archive it and you know see amazing things done with it. Um, and push it, push the boundary, push the boat out. As, as I see it, that's the perfect definition for Aradia to use, right? Um, now, that includes all sorts of things that maybe folks wouldn't call magical girl stories. But for what Aradia is trying to accomplish, I would love to be able to convince you, hopefully, that this is the perfect definition if you are looking to play with and improve and build in the genre. And resilience... It, it obeys the, the, the letter and the spirit of that definition in different ways, but in a limited way, right? So in the story, the main character, Katrina, uh, at some point, she's going to transform. I'm not going to tell you anything about when or how or <laughs> why or to what extent or to what end. Um, 
And you bet that that if she at the point in the story we're up to right now, if, if she knew she was going to transform or something like that, she, she'd reject that possibility strongly, right? Uh, she's an assassin who does, doesn't want to be an assassin anymore. There's a little bit of John Wick in there, right? But yeah, it's 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 sort of trans people versus an evil government story. Sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, the the means by which the space colony is is dying is this fire that exists at the edge of the colony, and every hour on the hour, this fire rushes in towards the center of the colony, burning everything in its path, but completely obliterating anything that is unloved or unseen or not thought about or cast out of mind beyond a certain threshold. And Katrina, she retires from being an assassin because she wants to dedicate her time to running a shelter for trans people who are very much sort of vilified by the government of this space colony. And they live right out next to the boundary itself, right? So this thing that comes and rushes up and eats anything that people haven't been thinking about or that people don't love, they, they live right next to that, that fire. They've been like literally pushed out to the edge and they survive regardless, right? Once again, maybe you're seeing a little bit of the um, connecting emotions to the real world in the story there. Hmm. And so, like, while there is at some point in the story, I suppose, a strange, a strange sort of magic that may or may not sort of get used to some extent by the human human characters. It's like I, I took picked up where Pony Magic Fairy Girls left off, um, asking similar sorts of questions and pushed it a little bit further away, asking those questions in a slightly different away, slightly different way, a little bit further away from the magical girl genre. That's not to say that resilience uh, doesn't uh, represent a massive, massive love for the genre and doesn't sort of react to conventions from within the genre in all kinds of ways. If a genre is a set of conventions, you can obey those conventions and be part of that genre, or you can you know, not obey those conventions and not be part of that genre, but not obeying those conventions very consciously, that's still a relationship to that genre, right? The magical Mm -hmm. girl genre is still, to some extent, the the set of conventions that that resilience started with and chose to not do. It, It obeys conventions of other genres instead, but importantly, like, the relationship with the magical girl genre is still there. But yeah, Pony Magic Fairy Girls isn't gone and it isn't done. In fact, right now uh, I've got my phone next to me and I'm looking at my lock screen because my lock screen on my phone is a panel from one of the unpublished chapters of Pony Magic Fairy Girls. There's a panel of the salamander um, and it says that the two speech bubbles, uh, but in order to save my friends, I need her to come back referring to the salamander um and the, the salamander stood there it's, it's an illustration i'm quite proud of but i made those new chapters while i was uh working in like not a nice place uh, i just finished university i was stuck back in the countryside for the first time in a very long time i didn't really have any friends anywhere within uh, geographical radius i wasn't really making much money i was sort of working 10 hours a day in this call center dealing with sort of missing deliveries and things as the, the whole country, uh, the United Kingdom sort of uh, postal service shut down last Christmas. Uh, so I just had people being angry with me all day, really. Mm. And I hadn't been able to make art or do anything creative, really, of any sort. And if I had done, I hadn't enjoyed it for quite a long time. And so I came back to Pony Magic Fairy Girls and I just, I'd nuked two chapters, as I, I, I alluded to earlier. 
and started again at chapter 11 and just started making what I was thinking again. I started treating it as a diary, but more consciously this time. And uh, a new setting, uh, a new character, still following Amanda again. But the the first panels of the new chapter was sort of the route I'd walk to work every morning and back from work every morning. And I tried to draw those panels, like feeling how I did at that time. And it was this immense relief. Hmm. It felt like I was I was worse than wasting time, right? Because I was making episodes of Pony Magic Fairy Girls that maybe no one would ever see. I wasn't I wasn't doing something that would accomplish anything. You know, I wasn't making art that I could could publish and and I don't know utilize for for monetary value at some point one day. Like I was I was just making it for myself to get me back into it, to get me out of my inertia, and it was the best feeling ever. It was so much fun, so much love. Uh, every time I read the comic, I feel so much fun. So you know, I have so much enjoyment, have so much love, so much inspiration for it like it's not gone it's still there it's kind of in the background in the back of my mind maybe there's a plan to make resilience actually part of a framed narrative within pony magic fairy girls that's not gonna happen but like 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 low-key i could raise that possibility to you you could use that as a lens for reading one comic or the other and it would leave you with with questions but yeah after finishing pony magic fairy girls uh i was still working in the call center um, and I got even sadder when I got out of the call center and with time and a lot of work, I built myself back up to the point of trying out a new project and I decided to make resilience, this story I'd had sort of sitting around for a good old while. And yeah, I decided, you know what? Yeah, I want to make a comic and I want to make a comic with music again, but I want to do something different. I'm going to make a motion comic. I'm going to make a motion comic in a uh, vertical video, right? Because vertical video is this sort of this medium that, yeah, it's it's trashy and it's bad and it's super disposable, but it's also like it can be bad. And it's, you know, profiles on places like TikTok and Instagram, they're tied to a person. They're not tied to a comic, right? Uh, they're not tied to a story. And it's like, well, actually, I want people to follow my artistic journey, right? Pony Magic Fairy Girls doesn't make sense as a standalone product. Um, I want people to follow my artistic journey. And so actually, the vertical video medium makes a lot of sense. You have, you know, you have to sort of go to my profiles in order to read it. You have to sort of, I don't know, be a sort of attached to my work a little bit, as opposed to just the work of a comic, works within a single comic. Um in order to, to follow it. And yeah, the vertical video, um, sort of motion comic medium, I, I can't find any other examples of it really existing, but it also, it turns into web comics really easily. So if you want to read it as a uh, static web comic, you, you can do. I literally, I take sort of uh, snapshots of frames from the motion comic version and turn them into comics with different lettering and a slightly different script in order to make the comic. Um, and the, the motion comic has lettering alongside voice acting. So I have an amazing, wonderful cast of voice actors who I love very much indeed. Um, amazing collaborations. I draw fast enough so that I'm very frequently responding to their performances as opposed to them voice acting to my artwork, uh, which means there's a lot of emphasis on their performances and how they interpret the characters and... Uh, we work together very, uh, I was very closely. And so Resilience releases maybe one episode every two weeks at the moment. So it's, it's quite slow to work in this new medium, but 
yeah, it's exciting. It's another exciting experiment. It's another uh, little collage uh, of different different ideas, and yeah, no, I'd I'd love I'd love for folks uh, to join me on that as well. But yeah, it's a lot more po- polished than Pony Magic Fairy Girls, so you you can just follow it and enjoy it and not be left with questions and not be irritated and not have to prepare yourself for dealing in this weird medium I half-assed and not like be burdened with sort of interpretations of well, what if it's a diary and you know Tara just sort of can explain that away as like something she was thinking about that day. Um, no, it's an actual thing that I've actually made, again, very much looking up to the more polished stories of my my peers in the Aradia Collective. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's pretty cool, though. I am i haven't had the chance to check it out yet, so this is, like, getting me excited to, to, to go <laughs> and, oh, and, and give, it a, give it a watch. Um, but, yeah, so I guess we're kind of winding down here, so um, coming down to the, the final question, which is... Um, yeah. Yeah, do you have a magical persona of your own? Yeah, sure. I kind of do. So, yeah, wherever the air name goes, there is a little entity that goes along with the air name. And it used to be I just had sort of one drawing of this entity that I used everywhere. And now it's it's a bit more spread out. I tried to uh, sort of have the air character follow with my transition. Like there were just sort of different drawings of her that I liked in different places, and so it's a bit random now. But basically, she's this this little character with with long hair, and she wears this mask, this white mask that's quite sort of sharp and triangular and geometric, and it's a white mask with sort of black eyes sort of cut out from it. So there are cuts in the mask that sort of just show black behind them, and then down from the eyes, there are sort of two further cuts, little little strips. Right. So you, you have these sort of these triangles with these sort of rectangles sort of going down for them. So it could look like the character is, is crying in a sort of way. You know, you, you, you can you can read it however, however you wish. <laughs> in some of them, she looks really happy. Right. Her eyes are sort of upturned hmm. little triangles instead, little little arrow shapes. So it's like she, she's she's happy. Uh, some drawings of her, she's sort of playing with floppy disks and things. Again, sort of alluding to that eight-bit and demo scene culture that I'm I'm really fond of. In one image, she's on purple and pink, and she's sort of looking quite quite austere, quite fancy. She's got a nice dress on, uh, and in another, she just kind of looks looks happy, and uh, she's on sort of a, a a very sort of deep purple, with little 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 pink and purple sort of twiddles in her hair. It's really just a bit of art that I do that it accompanies me around everywhere. Mm-hmm. She, I don't, I've, I've never sort of planned to sort of tell a story about her or anything. She doesn't have sort of character details or anything. Um, she maybe she's, you know, she's a little bit cheeky sometimes, a little bit tired the rest of the time. <laughs> she always has like a flowing scarf or, or flowing hair, so she, clearly she likes to stand in the wind or in front of a fan or something. Uh, she's <laughs> yeah, a little bit of sort of drama to her. I, I don't know. I feel like she's just me in, the, in a kind of way, right? I tell stories about characters with all these kinds of powers and abilities, but I feel like the air character, like her power is 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 to make art, is is to make things. Uh, that's her superpower. That's that's the only superpower she needs. Uh, or I write all these stories about characters in fictional worlds where actually, you know, you can be a superhero instead. I don't know. I think she's kind of happy with her position. It's almost like a little little. Uh, self-portrait in that way i don't really consider her as as separate from me sure sure yeah 
pretty normal uh, to have that kind of kind of a avatar on the internet. <laughs> it is, yeah. Though it is, it's funny. It's funny. Okay, so here's here's a little story, right? Once upon a time, if we're okay for like one more little story. Once upon a time. I was hosting this this panel uh, for the webcomic library little convention they did in 2021 and I did a panel on webcomics and music right and I brought together a load of webcomic artists and a load of composers uh, to, to help with this panel to, to be speakers in this panel it went really well uh, amazing contributions from everyone involved Artem Victor of the Aradia Collective was involved as was uh, Annabelle Reyna, who's this amazing, amazing webcomic artist from Spain. And then my close composer friend, Gareth, he was also on the panel. But there were also other people I asked questions of and interviewed in order to get their perspectives and their takes in the panel as well. And I, I made a web page for this panel that had all of, all of the avatars of people next to each other. Uh, and composers and musicians have the convention of having very sort of austere headshots sometimes grayscale headshots Mm -hmm. very formal very bold quite statuesque headshots and artists draw their little characters it is common for artists to have little little pictures of themselves and composers have little little well quite statuesque uh headshots and i wanted the air mascot to fall in between those two extremes right Mm -hmm. so it's like she's always drawn in a headshot sometimes she's drawn in quite this statuesque way Maybe she's drawn in uh, other ways that don't necessarily sort of allude to it being a finished piece of art. The very sort of scratched, sketchy versions of the the, the air character that I've done. But yeah, she is supposed to balance the, the sort of the composer half and the artist half of me visually, um, mm. which was a challenge. It took me years to come up with a design that did that. <laughs> and I, I tried and failed for, for a long time, but I'm so happy with her now. I, I don't think I'll... I'll ever go back. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Great. So, um, yeah, Tara, thank you so much for coming on to Sparkleside Chats, finally, <laughs> to talk about your yeah. story. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. So uh, where can people find you and follow you online to talk about you and your works? And uh, also, yeah, how can they support you and, and find your work? So possibly the, the best place to go uh, is just E-Y-R-E dot x y z and that's my personal website that's e y r e dot x y z at time of recording it just says we've never had one do that before which is my little little slogan that i'm very fond of um (laughs) it's bright sort of purple imagery of some opera gloves and a groove box and headphones that i took one evening when i was feeling arty um and it has things like links to instagram and one of my Bandcamp pages there and LinkedIn. I'm unemployed, so if you know anyone who, who would want to hire me, <clears throat> <laughs> I could do with a job. But also my link tree, which has just everything in it. So there's the resilience, there's the soundtrack to resilience, there's sort of the main Pony Magic Fairy Girls uh, site. My portfolio site is eyre.xyz. Unredacted Productions, that's the collective of composers I have with myself and Sam and Gareth, who I, I mentioned just now. And yeah, I, I okay, I think there's things like links to Twitter on there and uh, YouTube is where Resilience is hosted. But yeah, on most places, uh, my at handle is currently Tara Lorelei Air. That's all uh, lowercase, Tara and Lorelei, relatively easy to work out how to spell those. And then E-Y-R-E at the end. Yeah, I'm that handle, I think, now on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. 
I'm trying to think if I'm that anywhere else. Yeah, but yeah, that's all the main ones. EYRE.XYZ. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, yeah, thank you again for coming on and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Yeah, thank you so much. I hope you have a good rest of your day too, though you don't have much of your day left. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Whether this was your first or last time listening, thank you so much for checking out this episode of Sparkle Sight Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. We hope you check out the rest of our chats, over two years of magical content and counting. And if you like what you heard, tell a friend or tell five friends or tell the whole world by talking about us online. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag Sparkle Side Chats when talking about and sharing the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalGirlAyu, spelled A-Y-U, and you can find me at Ayushinos, A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. You can also email us at sparklesidechats at gmail.com. Did you know we also take recommendations for future guests and topics? Just fill out the form in the show notes. You can even suggest yourself if you're so bold. The very best free way to support the podcast is using your podcast platform to give a rating and review of our little show. This gives the big internet machines the message that they should share it with more people, and I think we all want that, don't we? You can also join the Discord server for this podcast to talk about Magical Girls 24-7, often chatting directly with me and both previous and upcoming guests of the podcast. The forever link is in the show notes as well as on the socials, so be sure to stop by. Show notes can be found on your podcast platform of choice or at our main landing page at anchor.fm slash sparkleside. If you have a few bucks, you can give a one-time donation at ko-fi.com or ko-fi.com slash You can also commit to a monthly membership, which grants you access to bonus episodes about Magical Girls and adjacent content such as movies, comics, and other series that Magical Girl fans tend to also love. All it takes is $5 a month, but if you want to rank up, that'll give you discounts on art commissions and monthly requests as well. Music credits, as always, are also in the show notes. Original podcast music is by Hazel. You can find her on Twitter at A Few Bruises. Thanks again for listening, and remember, you are magical forever and always. See you next time. <laughs>